Revelation 19:11. The last book of the Bible. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and with a loud voice he called to all the birds that fly directly overhead, Come, gather for the great supper of God to eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. And the beast was captured, and with it the false prophet, who in its presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. And the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse. And all the birds were gorged with their flesh. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years and threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until a thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. Then I saw thrones and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. Also, I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received the mark on their heads, on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. Verse 7. And when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea. And they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet were. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had done. 
and the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Father, we ask for tonight your word to speak powerfully to our hearts. Um, We believe in your word. We believe that it's truth. And Father, we ask to soak it up tonight and that you give us understanding and you guide us in your program and plan for the earth and for us. And Lord, I do want to lift up my sister tonight as she's very ill, that you would comfort her and give her strength for the mission out there in Uganda. Bless the team and all those they're ministering to. And Father, I pray you continue to make Tree of Life fruitful, that what you have begun in us, you would be faithful to complete and to continue to spread and expand on this mountain, that your gospel would advance, and that your kingdom would be authoritative over our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we're coming to the very end of our series, History. We're getting to the end of God's story and seeing what the whole Bible says as a whole. That's what we've done. We're in message number, I think, 25. So we've looked at God's story, the entire Bible, in about 25 chunks. And this is it. This is the end. Two more sermons. Tonight, next week. And those two more are going to look like this. Tonight, Jesus returns. The king comes back. And when the king comes back, he takes the rebels And exiles them forever from his kingdom. That's what he does here. That's what we're going to talk about. Next week, after he removes the rebels, he's then going to restore all things to be as it was in Eden. And that we will see in the last two chapters of Revelation. So that's where we are. That's where we're going. The story is coming to its conclusion. And I think at this point, you guys um, know this is Revelation. Lots and lots of questions in Revelation. And so you're free to ask at the end of the sermon. JC and I will be happy to field all your eschatological, that means end time, questions uh, the best that we can. Now, um, what we're looking at tonight is mostly in chapter 20. If you have an English Standard Version Bible, it says the thousand years on the title. Um, What... Theologians call this chapter is the millennial kingdom or the millennial reign of Jesus. So-called millennial because in verse 4, it mentions that there is a reign going on for four, uh, check that, for 1,000 years. 1,000 means millennial or millennium. So that's why we call it the millennial kingdom of Jesus. Now, the concept of this is very simple. Jesus is king. That's what the millennial reign means. He's king. But, what exactly does the millennial reign in detail tell us? When does it happen? What does it look like? What is it? Those are questions that the most smartest and spiritual scholars in the world sit in three different viewpoints on. So in other words, there's no agreement here, and what I'm going to do tonight is walk us through this millennial kingdom, and we will 
see what God's story is leading up to. And in the end, we're going to see what the basic conclusion is that we can draw from this. That we can all be in agreement, at least on some point uh, part on this. So, before we get into it, let me clarify what we read, because it's a lot of weird imagery. And so if I clarify what we read, then we can get into it, and you guys will track with me. Okay? Okay, so, chapter 19, when Brittany started reading, verse 11. What you see is a writer. His name's Jesus. Jesus comes to the earth, it seems, and he has some sort of a great victory. Those who oppose him are defeated. That's chapter 19. Then we see in 20 verse 1 that an angel chains Satan up for a thousand years. Puts him in a big pit, chains him up, puts a lid on top, and Satan's taken care of for a thousand years. Then in verse 4, we see this resurrection. All of the dead Christians come to life and are reigning with Jesus over this kingdom. That's going to be our biggest question tonight is what does that kingdom look like? What is it? Is that future? Is that now? What's going on there? And then in verse 7, you see that Satan is released from his timeout. <laughs> he comes out of the prison, out of the pit. The chains fall off, and he wreaks havoc. And an army comes against Jesus. And before they can even shoot one arrow or one bullet, they're devoured and done away with. And then it closes in verse 11 with those rebels being judged Books are opened, what they did is in them, they're judged according to their works, and they're thrown into the lake of fire, which we more frequently call hell. So that's how the story goes. Jesus wins a victory, Satan is chained, a kingdom starts in which we are a part of, then there is a rebellion, and the rebellion is judged. And then in the next chapter, we'll see in 21, the eternal state we often call heaven begins. So that's where we're going. That's what it looks like. An overview to kind of help condense all of that weird imagery that we just read. So far, so good. Pretty basic right there. I know a lot of questions still, but that's, now, that's normal. This is just basically what it says. So, the uncertainty of this millennium. Remember, concept simple. What does it mean? Well, it's going to be three views I'm going to talk about. But before I tell you what these views are, I want to give you guys a disclaimer. I am not going to tell you what I think, at least on record, what I think the proper view is because of four reasons. The first is that there are many backgrounds represented in Tree of Life. Whether tonight or just in general, we always have many, many different churches, different upbringings and backgrounds represented here. So what I don't want to do is tell you, you must be blah, 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 like pre-rapture, tribulational, whatever, all these things, like, what does that mean? I'm not going to say you must be this and make you feel like, well, if I don't believe what Brennan believes, I can't be part of Tree of Life. That would be the wrong idea. Okay, These doctrines we're going to talk about tonight are not considered essential. What I mean is, your take on what we talk about does not affect your salvation. But it might affect your application, the way that you live life. But it does not affect your salvation. So we don't have to agree on this. This is going to be one of those nights where you guys come to your own, you, you pray about it, think about it, you guys are going to have to come to your own beliefs here. <laughs> that excites me very much. Second reason I'm not going to tell you um, Tree of Life stance is because we can't be dogmatic. Okay, I can't tell you this is the right view because 
There are many, many, many wonderful Christians who fall under all three views. And for me to say this is right is to imply everybody who disagrees is wrong and going to hell or something. There's a lot of smart people in all camps. So what we, ought, what we need to conclude here is that we need to be open to being wrong. It's not as clear as we want it to be. The third reason I'm not going to tell you (laughs) is because this, in Revelation 20, is the only text in the whole Bible that talks about a 1,000 millennial kingdom. A 1,000 year millennial reign of Christ. Only place it talks about it. Therefore, we don't have a whole lot to go off of. We can't compare scripture to scripture. We just have this And it's very dangerous to become very dogmatic on one little portion of Bible. Very dangerous. And then finally, um, I I guess I already mentioned this one before. Because many people sit in many camps, and I would hate. Okay, I read a a lot of smart guys here. Some people I respect hold a different view than Calvary Chapel holds. But I also respect Calvary Chapel. And I respect Chuck Smith, but I also respect N.T. Wright, who's on the farther end of the spectrum. And I also respect Jonathan Edwards, who's in the middle. My point, you may not know these names, but my point is, there's a lot of great, smart minds in all camps, okay? So, you really can't go wrong. You just might, I don't know, see it differently than some people see. So that's my disclaimer, okay? So I'm going to give you guys the views, and I'm not going to, at least from the pulp, the, whatever this tabletop is not from here say this is truth this is what you must believe i'm not going to do that now we can talk privately and i'm happy to do that but that's okay so there's my disclaimer so this is um you know again at the end you can free talk jc and i and also on the table behind hannah where the bibles are there are packets i supplied those because i'm giving you guys an overview That will give you more detail. It will give you scripture passages. And what I think is most helpful, which I would have done had we a TV up here. We so nice and big, like, big old. Um, I would have given you guys charts, but the charts are in the packets. Charts are helpful because they visualize what I'm talking about. So I think afterward you can grab one of those and it will help. If you're faint of heart, don't, don't kill yourself, okay? Just be be faint of heart and be like, that's cool. Brandon said enough. But if you're one of those people like, i got to know, grab the packet. <laughs> I've also got a couple links footnoted. Just one link footnoted that will give you even more info. Anyways, okay. So here we go. Here are the three views that we're going to talk about. What is this kingdom, this thousand years in chapter 20? Three views. I'm going to give you, this is the order. So that no one suspects, oh, Brandon put his favorite last, because that's what people usually do. <laughs> I'm just going to give you a certain order. From the most unfamiliar to the most familiar. So we're going to start with like, whoa, I've never heard of that. And then we're going to move into what you guys are probably familiar with. That's the order we're going in. So it goes like this. Number one is the post-millennialism view. <laughs> post-millennialism. Don't get tripped up. Millennial, thousand years. Millennialism, that's all it means. Post-millennialism. Number two, ah-millennialism. That's just an A with millennialism. Ah-millennialism. And then number three, pre-millennialism. So post-ah and pre-millennialism. That's where we're going. What do those mean? (laughs) Post means after, right? So what the idea behind these names are is there's this thousand-year reign, this millennium, and the name of it tells you where the view sees Jesus coming back. 
Okay? So post-millennium. You've got this millennium. It means that Jesus comes back after chapter 20. After the millennium. Pre-millennium would mean what? The other, right? Jesus comes back, then there's the millennium. So that's where the names come from. All millennialism is kind of misunderstood. All means no. They, their view is kind of like, let's not even talk about a millennium. It's kind of just weird. Like, there is none. It's kind of, that's too simple. But anyway, it's kind of what they say. So, okay. So that's what the names mean. Now, before I get into the three, one more important clarification. The millennium is not heaven. It is not the eternal state that we will, as Christians, all live with Jesus in. That's not it. It's temporary, whatever it is. Some people say it's right now. Some people say it's the future. But whatever it is, it's temporary. It's not heaven. Now let's go. Okay, so number one. Post-millennialism. Post-millennialism, in a nutshell, is this. That when Jerusalem fell in AD 70, if you don't know, the Romans went in 40 years after Jesus and demolished the temple and took over the city for good. Uh, almost for good. They just destroyed a lot of things. Um, that's AD 70. From that point on, post-millennialism says that the, this millennium started, AD 70 up to today. It's still going. So in other words, we are in the thousand-year reign of Jesus right now. Now, what is supposed to happen is that this, um, this kingdom ends when we, the church, spread the gospel to all the world, and the world will gradually become better and better. Nations will begin to accept the gospel to the point that the entire earth becomes Christianized. And when the earth is Christianized, the kingdom, the millennial kingdom will be complete, and Jesus will come back and usher in heaven. That's what they say. Now, here's some key points. How do they read Revelation? They look at Revelation as a book that's already been fulfilled. All of this was fulfilled when Rome defeated the temple in Jerusalem. So you're looking at a book that's past tense. Most of us think of it as future, but that's how they see it. Um, The rapture. To them, there is no rapture. Jesus is just going to come. Bam, baby. He's here. This victory in chapter 19, they would say, is not Jesus' return to the earth, but this is a picture of him defeating Satan on the cross. So 19 is the cross, chapter 20 is today, the church, and 21 is the future. So what that means is these thousand years are not literal, right? Because Jesus ascended 2,000 years ago. These thousand years are symbolic. It's an unspecified number. Um, so, and then Satan being bound, people usually have a problem with this because like Satan's not bound. Obviously there's lots of wickedness in the world. What they mean by Satan being bound is that Satan is hindered from blinding people from receiving the gospel, at least the nations. So what that means is Satan is bound so that the gospel could reach every nation. There is that possibility. That's what they mean by his binding. Okay. So let me recap. The kingdom's happening now. When we gospelize and Christianize the entire world, Jesus comes back, the resurrection happens, he judges the wicked, heaven starts. That's the view in a nutshell. We good? Here's the main problem with this view. I'm going to give you guys a problem for each view, because I think they all have problems. (laughs) 
The main problem is you might have already smelled. What this says is man, you and I are bringing heaven to earth. We are doing that, not God. So it all hinges on our works and our efforts. It's a problem for a lot of people. Um, Who supports this view? Um, This view was once very popular, very popular, but it's very unpopular today. That's why I started this one. You've probably never heard of it because it's very unpopular. JC is pretending he adheres to it, but he doesn't. I don't think. Um, You know why I think it's unpopular? I think 2,000 years later, the church has looked back and said, the world's not getting much better. So I think that's why a lot of us are abandoning this view. But it is still around, needless to say. So that's post-millennialism. Second one, amillennialism. This is what all millennialism says in a nutshell. This thousand year kingdom is symbolic for the church. It began when Jesus rose from the dead and will end when he returns to the earth. It's a very simple view. All chapter 20 is describing as us right now. And it's going to end when Jesus comes back. So start when he rose, ends when he comes back. So it's a lot like post-millennialism. That the kingdom is happening now. Um, that Jesus comes back after it. But the difference is, post-millennialism sees the millennial kingdom happening on earth through the church spreading the gospel. All millennialism sees the kingdom happening in heaven through Jesus and the dead saints. So in other words, if you die, you go to heaven and you are reigning with Jesus from heaven over this present age. And then we come back with him and establish heaven. Does it make sense? So it's the same thing as postmodernism. It happens now, except the idea is that the rain is happening in heaven. And they would say, that's why Paul says it's in Philippians 1, it's far better for me to die today so that I can go there and be part of the throne of Jesus. Ephesians 2 also talks about being seated on his throne. That's where they get some of their ideas. Um, okay, so the key points. How do they read Revelation? Again, 19 is the cross. That victory is depicting Jesus killing Satan, not killing, but defeating Satan on the cross. 20 is the church, 21 is the future. So kind of like post-millennialism. Like post-millennialism, they see no rapture. Why even talk about the rapture? It's pointless. It's We're just here and then Jesus is going to bring the eternal estate any day now. Um, by the way, that means if Revelation is... A, oh, I didn't even tell you this. What, how do they read Revelation? Yeah, I did tell you, I guess. It's all past tense mostly, except for 21 22. If all this is past tense, then what they would say is, why even talk about a rapture? There's not going to be an Antichrist that's going to take over the world. That Antichrist is the anti-gospel system already here. There's not going to be this one dude. There's not going to be this great tribulation. We live in the tribulation always. That's the way they say it. So the whole idea of a rapture before all that happens is not necessary to them. They don't even talk about it. Okay, so again, the thousand years are symbolic. What does the binding of Satan mean? This is a little different. It means that Satan is on a long leash, kind of like a dog. He can prowl around if you get too close, but he's very limited. He can only go so far before the leash chokes him. So... So just recap, we are presently in the kingdom right now after the resurrection. This is the millennial reign. 
the millennial reign. Jesus will return at an unknown date. Suddenly, he'll come. He will resurrect all the dead Christians, judge all the rebels, and start the eternal estate heaven. Very pretty simple, straightforward view. But here's the, pre, here's the key problem with this view. I think that it diminishes Revelation 20 to mere symbolism. It, it, it basically takes everything as a symbol for something, and it's very hard to, to interpret. It's like, okay, well, that could be a symbol for this, but it could also be a symbol for that. It just takes it very symbolically. Um, some proponents here. The Catholic Church is mostly amillennialist. Um, N.T. Wright is an amillennialist. And some Protestant churches are amillennialist. So there's some of your proponents. And then number three... The third view is pre-millennialism. This is probably, if you've ever heard anything about this stuff, it's probably maybe what you've heard, especially if you've grown up in Calvary Chapel. Pre-millennialism. This basically says that what we're waiting for is Jesus' return. When Jesus returns, he then starts a literal 1,000-year kingdom on earth from Jerusalem in which we take a part in and we rule all the nations of this earth from Jerusalem. So it's like normal life, like today, but Jesus is present on the earth physically. He establishes a kingdom over all the nations and we participate with him in it. That is premillennialism. He comes back, then literal 1,000 years um, that's that now I will say though not to complex this too much but this premillennialism has two different views and I'm going to kind of combine them just to make it easier okay just so you know not all uh, just, I'll, okay just I'll go I'm just going to say not all of them think it has to be a literal thousand years some of them think it's just a lengthy amount of time and then the rapture is different but I'll talk about that in just a second so how do premillennialists read Revelation? For the most part, they read Revelation as a future book. All of this is yet to happen. What do they say about the rapture? We are raptured before the Antichrist comes. Although, some of them say we're raptured after the tribulation. But uh, most of them say we're raptured before the Antichrist comes and wreaks havoc on the earth. Chapter 19 talks about Jesus' return to the earth physically in the future. And we'll be with him. We're raptured. Then we come back with him. And we have a war with Antichrist and his minions. And they are defeated and conquered. And then a thousand year kingdom set up in Jerusalem. So the thousand years are literal. What does the binding of Satan mean? It means that Satan is taken like a little dog, has no power, and Jesus puts a big leash on him, throws him in a pit, and he is unheard of for a thousand years. He's done. Jesus is in charge now. Then Satan is released, and he wreaks havoc on the earth. There's that final uprising. We squash it, and then Jesus judges. He resurrects the wicked, judges them, sends them to hell, and heaven begins. The eternal state begins. That's the view in a nutshell. Make sense? A little bit? A little bit. There's a little bit more detail in that one. It's a little more complex. When you look at the diagrams, this one has arrows everywhere. The others are a lot more simple. (laughs) Um, The key problem, though, with this view is what is the purpose of the thousand-year reign? It seems like a big interruption between the death of Jesus and resurrection and heaven, the eternal state. 
It would seem natural to say he rose, he's going to come again and start heaven, but there's a thousand year block of what is it in the middle? It just seems to be. I'm not saying it is an interruption, but it just, you kind of sit there and wonder, what is the point of it? I'm not sure. Um, <coughs> some of the key proponents here, Chuck Smith, Calvary Chapel, uh, the Left Behind series, the books and the movies. Um, this is probably your mainstream view of the Millennial Kingdom. Most of America, I would guess, looks at it this way because mostly of the Left Behind books. JC has his hand up, so he probably does too. I don't know what that means. No, that's after. <laughs> Obey. <laughs> Him of all people. What, JC? This must be good because you're asking a question. <laughs> you weren't listening. Oh, ah. It's highly symbolic. It doesn't seem to take revelation for what it's saying. Um, meanwhile, premillennialism seems to take it most literal, face value. Okay, so if this isn't the most popular, it's at least the most well-known. So that's why I did this one last. You guys have probably heard something like this. So there you go. Three different views. No one's a heretic for believing one or the other. Um, however, if you are a Calvary Chapelite, which some of you are, you're probably going to be that premillennialist view because that's what Pastor Chuck proposes. Um, but here's the common ground. It might sound like we're so different on these views, but really, most of the time, Christians as a whole agree on many things. And this is what we do agree on about the future. There's five basic points that we all agree on, and if you don't agree with these, you are a heretic. So you can defer on the whole millennialism thing, but this part you need to agree on. This is the common ground. First, Jesus will return to this earth. That's doctrine. Second, when he returns, he's king. No one challenges him. No one overcomes him. Third, the judgment of the wicked will happen when he comes back. So those who refuse to live in God's story, rebelled against his kingship, will be judged. Fourth, Satan will be defeated. And fifth, hell is a real place. Amen. Contrary to what some people accuse JC of thinking. <laughs> it was so funny. We had a meeting with Pastor Mike, JC, and I we called him. We felt like kids in trouble. It really did feel like that. And he goes, JC, I heard that you don't believe hell's literal. And you should have seen his face. He was like, what? Where did that come from? So it just got the story got twisted. JC said we were talking about aliens, not about hell. Somehow someone said he doesn't believe in hell, so I don't know what happened there, but that's the backstory on that. Hell's a literal place, okay? <coughs> okay, so what I hope I did here is by giving you the views is that what we do is we sympathize with people who differ from us in the future about eschatology, about the rapture, about the millennial kingdom and stuff, that we can learn to be people who don't become exclusionists and say, we only hang out with people that do this and believe this. As long as we hold to the main doctrines, we're good. We can defer, and we can have intelligent conversations. People who defer from your view about eschatology are not dumb. They don't ignore the Bible like some people try to make them sound like they do. They're very smart and spiritual. It all comes down to interpretation, as you know. And Revelation is a whole other thing to get into, but some people see the book as telling a message about the past. Some see it as telling messages about the future. And that's where a lot of it hinges, okay? Some people see God deals with Israel very differently than the church. Some people see him dealing with both of them just the same. 
It all depends on your perspectives on that. That's how all these different views come out. So I hope that this helps you sympathize with other views. But this is where we're going to end. We're going to end in verses 11 to 15 about the judgment because I think that this is the important application for us. So whatever happened tonight, if I totally confused you about what's happening in the future or, or maybe now about this whole millennial kingdom... I'm sorry, okay? I didn't mean, I don't want to confuse you. But these are just issues that are talked about and we're working on them together. So, whatever view you take, however confused you are, here's the point that Revelation makes clear as a whole Jesus is coming back. And when he comes back, he is going to be king of the earth, and nobody's going to resist him. So, Jesus is king, Satan is defeated, and hell is real. That's the message. So when he comes back, those who refuse to live in God's story, those who refuse to submit to Jesus' kingship, we call them rebels. Adam was one of those people in in the Garden of Eden. Those rebels are taken and they are exiled from the kingdom of God forever. Forever separated from this kingdom that he's been inaugurating, that Jesus will rule over. That's the important message. Now... Verse 14 says, it calls it the lake of fire. We typically call it hell. It's the same thing. It's a real place. Um, Jesus describes it as a place of fire, gnashing of teeth, and darkness. Outer darkness. That's how he describes it. Now, whether or not that's the exact nature of hell, like it's literally going to be fire and darkness and all that, people are leaking gnashing of teeth, it doesn't matter as much as the point of what hell is. The purpose of hell is to eternally exile people from the presence of the king they rejected. Okay? It's a literal place where people are going to be given what they've always wanted, the king of their dreams. Now, we live in a day and age where you have a lot of postmodern kids. I mean kids because I think that they just don't think for themselves. That's the nature of postmodernism. Who say things like, Well, I can't believe in a God of love who sends people to hell. I just can't do it. It doesn't fit. Well, I think that's bogus. I think it's baloney. This is not a God of love. King Jesus comes back to earth. And there's these rebels who've never wanted Jesus to be king. And he says, you must submit to my kingship. Or I'll... You must. <laughs> I mean, what, what can he do? There's no punishment. So you just must. That's called tyranny. That's what Adolf Hitler does and people like that in history. That's not a loving king who comes and says, you must submit. A loving king says, am I your king? No. Money is my king. Then to money you shall serve forever. And that's the point, is that the God of love does not force his kingship upon anybody. He says, if you want to serve another king, so be it. I have a special place separated from my kingdom for people like you. And there you can serve your king all you want. Whatever the nature of that is, none of us have been to hell, but there you can have your king. And you can serve that king along with Satan. Satan called himself king. So that is um, 
That's the God of love. And that is loving. Not to force you to serve a king and live in a kingdom you want nothing to do with. Now, important here is that in verse 12, it says that John saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had done. In other words, they're judged by their works. Romans chapter 2 affirms this. That not just the wicked, but you and I are judged by our works. Whoa. Some of you guys just had a red flag go up. Don't worry. Well, I'm going to read to you Romans 2 verse 6. Jesus will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience in well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give them eternal life. So those who do good works get eternal life. But to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, they rebel against Jesus' kingship, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. So they do bad works, they rebel, they get hell. Romans is very clear. You get what you've been working for. Now, there's a lot of confusion about works, and some of your red flags are flying right now. Whoa, heretic, I'm not coming ever again. He said that works are what we're saved by. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Hold your horses, okay? By the... I'll say that later. Works are not a thing that you accumulate in order to earn some level of worthiness. That's when we say you're not saved by works. It's not something that you keep doing to pile upon some sort of a resume to say, God, I'm worthy. That's where works are bad. But what works are is they are your expression of allegiance to whichever kingdom you want to live in and king you want to serve. Example from last week's text, Romans chapter 6, it said, You are slaves of the one whom you obey. In other words, what we do determines the king we serve and the kingdom we live in. Jesus, our king, has called for certain works. And if they are not done, you are standing in the path of Adam and Israel who rebelled against his kingship, wanted their own, and as a result were exiled from their lands. And when Jesus returns as king... If we are continuing the practice of rebellion against his kingship, he will exile you from that future land, heaven. So works are not something we add up to earn salvation, but works indeed are what you're doing as a manifestation of the king you serve, as the kingdom that you're living in. And so, yes, Romans is right when it says, the just and the wicked will be judged by their works. So, let's conclude it like this. The king's coming back to exile all rebels in a place called hell. And to establish the eternal state. So my high suggestion 
is that as we've been learning about God's story and what it means to live in it, is that you do that. You don't write your own. You don't live in your own story. You don't serve your own king. You don't be your own king. But we say that Jesus is king and what he calls for is what we do and that we live working our allegiance in his kingdom. That we are in good standing when the king returns and that we're not numbered amongst the rebels. So Father, I pray that you help us. Lord, we admit it's better to be a servant in your story. It's better to be a slave in your story than to be king in hell. So Spirit of the living God, come fall afresh on tree of life. Melt us, mold us, fill us, and use us. That we may be those who express our allegiance to you as king over all the earth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.